Hey there, and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, episode 15. We are two die-hard rugby fans who have a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, real, family-friendly, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Come on, Mitch. Yeah, get, get involved there. That's what we need, mate. So, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure you're just stunned from the return of Rugby Union. How's it been being able to actually watch some games? It's been so good to have some rugby back on the TV. It's been awesome. We're finally yeah. back into it. Some new things to talk about. Um, some new things to get excited about. It's just so good. <laughs> some relevant information that's actually up to date and pertinent to the game of rugby. It's fantastic. Um, well, why don't you take us through our social media platforms first? Yeah, perfect. So we are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. And we're also on Facebook at pick and drive rugby podcast. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. So tonight we're going to chat about the glorious return of Super Rugby Aotearoa and also chat through the spicy news updates from the week. We thought we'd swap things around and get the rugby in first because we've all been waiting so much for it. So anything you want to add before we jump on into it, Mitch? Yeah, I guess just that we're, um, we're donning our, our black shirts tonight. We're talking about <laughs> the New Zealand comp. So even though we are focusing our podcast on all things Aussie rugby, for the meantime, we do have only New Zealand rugby to talk about. So this we'll week will we be Kiwi-focused. And then in a few weeks, maybe just over a month, we'll be back into the Aussie side of things. It's wonderful, mate. I've, I've just missed it so much that I'm more than happy to talk about anything that's live rugby union. So that's let's right. jump on into it. Yeah, let's go. First up this week, we're doing things a little bit differently. So we normally do our spicy news update first, but... We've just waited so long for some footy, so we're just going to get right into the action first up, and then we'll talk about the spicy news a little bit later. So overall, um, this weekend, we saw the introduction of the new domestic competition in New Zealand, Aotearoa. Um, and yeah, we're just going to have a quick chat about what we thought overall of the new competition and some of the things that the referees were focusing on. And then we'll dive into each game and speak about those in a little bit more detail. So... Ando, first up, what were your thoughts about the weekend? I really enjoyed it. Just really simply, I really enjoyed it. And I think um, there's been a lot of criticism towards the referees. I mean, glorious rugby is back. What else do you have to do but criticise the referees? Um, about the number of penalties and how they were always blowing the whistle. But I actually felt that it didn't actually slow the game down that much. Yeah. Yes, combined total of like 61 penalties across both games or something like that I read in one news report but I watching both games I didn't think it was dominated by the whistle and actually it was a case of players just needing to adapt to the mm. expectation and as the commentators were largely saying the majority of the penalties were deserved it's just that in the past they'd probably get away with it whereas this time they were getting pulled up on it so I think you'll see it become less and less of an issue over the next two or three weeks yeah, that was what I found particularly interesting in this first round as well. The first half of both games was uh, a lot of players were sort of uh, sort of seeing how far they could get with things, and they weren't getting any, they weren't getting away with anything from the referees. The referees were officiating mm -hmm. the breakdown so intently. Uh, it was it was really good from a from a refereeing perspective. With my refereeing background, I thought it was really exciting to see how they were officiating the breakdown and the overall effect that it had on the game. What do you think was the most significant part of what they were focusing on with their officiating? I really liked the, the offside line. So mm. the first game of the Blues and the Hurricanes, 
the referee, which was Paul Williams, was taking a really strong stance on that offside line. So he was saying that if you if you aren't if you're not obviously onside, you're offside. And so he was penalising it a lot. Um, he also was like both referees were looking at different things in the breakdown, which I thought was quite interesting. So Paul Williams was very intent on the actions of the player with the ball who went to ground. So in the first half of that game, there was a number of penalties that went to against the attacking team because the player would go to ground, be tackled, and he'd, as we've seen a lot recently, start sort of crawling a few metres and then he'd play the ball. He blew it straight yeah. up and said, nope, you've got one action, you've got to play the That's ball, you can't movement. keep yeah. going, it's a double movement. Yeah. Um, and the the uh, high, the Chiefs, sorry, were the team that got penalised a fair few times with this. Um, and they were really slow to adapt to it because they did it a number of times in that first half. Um, but the second, the second game against the Blues and the Hurricanes was uh, refereed by Mike Fraser. And he was much more intent on the, the tackler. So he, was, so he blew a lot of penalties for the tackler not ro- rolling away. Um, fast enough or getting pinged and just not making enough of an effort. So it was it was interesting to see the two different interpretations of the breakdown. But overall, they did have um, an, an increased approach to re- uh, officiating the breakdown. I really like you thought the changes with how they were officiating off sideline was really significant. Mm. Because what it did was after the initial burst of penalties uh, where it, the player was like, oh, crap, they're looking at that now. Okay. <laughs> Um, they actually had to provide more space and make sure that they were holding the legitimate offside line and not kind of just blurring the edges in their rush defence, which meant there was far more attacking rugby on play because there was more opportunity for the attacking line to actually get over the gain line rather than just be getting met as they received the ball. And so that's why we saw, I mean, the Highlanders and Chiefs was 28-27 and in Blues Hurricanes with 30-20. to 20. So that's 50, 80, you've got like over 100 points between two games. And it's not like defence was, the defending teams were poor by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. The combination of greater speed, greater attacking opportunities combined with that speed tiring teams out, which meant that defensive... Uh, frailties were exposed. So I really enjoyed the change. And it, it didn't require a massive rule shift. Like nothing mm. nothing was being changed within yeah, the offside no line or the rocks. Yeah, it was just, hey, we're actually going to be enforcing it. And it looks like um, the assistant refs were policing offside far more than what we've seen previously, yes. which is just a welcome change. Yeah, definitely. I was I enjoyed seeing that the defensive lines, the the pillar and post players who were the first player on either side of the ruck were always a lot further back than they have been in the past. Mm. So ten, the, in the old sort of old days or previously, you'd see the pillar <laughs> and post would be sort of right on that offside line. And then the players would sort of pillar from out from there. And the sort of third or fourth person would always sort of be a little bit further up offside. But as long as the referee didn't always pick that up, um, but I did real. I did notice that in this this weekend in these games that those teams were taking that extra step and they were setting themselves a lot further back. Mm. Mm. So and I think, yeah, and it, that as you said before, that just allowed for a lot more attacking rugby and a lot and the breakdowns as well were a lot faster. And I think what came from that, with the breakdowns being faster um, and the speed of the game increasing significantly is you're going you're gonna to get a few flow-on effects. Number one, 
your forward pack needs to be exceptionally mobile and mm. aerobically fit. Yes. So in my mind, having big, chunky front row forwards that are fantastic at the set piece but can't really get around the field particularly effectively are going to be gone within this competition. Um, if anything, they might come on for the last 20 or 30 minutes. But yeah. if they can't keep up with the movement around the field, then the, the value of what they offer is really limited because both games, there were hardly any scrums. Yeah, that's right. They're, very very you, limited. And even are, the ones right, that were yeah. there, there were a couple of resets here and there, which were legitimate. But then I know that in the um, Blues Hurricanes game, there was like one or two resets in a particular scrum, I remember, as I'm saying this. And then the ref just blew it up and said, no, nah, too bad. I warned you. And it happened again. And so the resets were so limited that, well, if you have a prop that is a better runner and ball handler and is more mobile than somebody else who's a scrummaging fiend, well, you're probably going to go with a more mobile one for this competition. Yeah, exactly. And the ref, as you said before, the referees were taking the approach to the scrums is we're not going to reset. We're not going to have multiple resets. We'll have one go. And if you get it wrong, I'm going to penalize you for it. Yep. So I thought that yep. was a welcome um, change as well to just speed up the, the pace of the game. Yep. One along thing with think, that though, yeah, yeah. along with that is with, with the increased speed came so many more turnovers. Now the statistics for both games are just really dodgy. There's a lot of mistakes and errors in what we've been able to find. Um, maybe because of all the cuts that different organizations yeah. have made, maybe they don't have the stats team to get it all correct. So I don't have accurate turnover statistics, but just kind of eyeballing it. There were so many turnovers in each game because what would basically happen is a player would make like a half breakout wide, um, but then the defending team would get one person over it on the ball and the attacking team would try and clear them out, but would usually either A, infringe, or B, not get there in time because of aforesaid um, issues of speed of the game and stuff. And there would just be a turnover, a penalty given to the defending team. And so I wonder if that is going to mean that players like Michael Hooper and Liam Wright in the Australian competition are going to have an absolute field day players who are fast enough to, and mobile enough to get around the field, yeah. but also strong enough to be withstanding the clear out hits. Um, so I, I just wonder if this is going to be like the renaissance of Michael Hooper as a fetcher, as opposed to just being a bit of a utility back row who's incredible in many different ways, but maybe turnovers weren't his thing. Maybe they will be his thing now. Yeah, it would be interesting to see because as, yeah, as you said, there, there is that open space and there's uh, more of a contest for the ball. But one thing that the referees were penalising a lot as well was that the player coming through to either defend the defending player, the first or second player arriving, going off their feet, or the mm. player pilfering the ball, not supporting their weight. So yep. it's interesting because they will also have to improve their technique to make sure that they're coming through illegal, legally and that they are supporting their weight. Yep. Which yep. Pocock wasn't great at. Um, just because of his the, his body dynamic, in that he's quite top heavy, in that he he would all he would lean on the player on the ground, which is technically illegal when he's pilfering the ball. So yeah, 
And so I wonder if the technicality will get pulled up because I saw it pulled up a few times in the games on the weekend where the jackaling player had their arms and was supporting their body weight with their arms or hands on the ground yeah. and they got called up for that. Well, that's, that's illegal. So the Pocock would often um, have such a wide stance with his legs and he'd hinge from the hips and use the um, player's body to help support his legs yeah. whilst he's wrapped his arms around the ball. So he still technically is illegal because he's using the player's body to help support the lower half of him. But I wonder if a player like him would get called up on it as much in this comp yeah, as exactly. opposed to somebody who blatantly has their hands on the ground supporting their body weight. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. It's definitely a different approach. So it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like Hooper's one of the best well obviously the best player at the Waratahs and we need a few best players so hopefully if this suits his game a bit more then maybe we can not be the bottom of the super rugby au competition he's he's hoping fingers crossed he's hoping if we can't beat the force as a basically a glorified nrc team then oh that's a worry <laughs> yeah now one other thing i wanted to say before we moved off this little general comments was um i was really surprised by the outcomes of both of these games the Blues and the Highlanders were not the two teams that I thought were going to win either of these games going yeah, okay. into it. Um, but in saying that, I think they were the teams, both of those teams adapted to the new rules much better than the opposition. 100%, yep. So the Highlanders were, do, were clearing out the breakdown a lot and the Chiefs really weren't sort of taking that extra step and they were caught offside a lot in the first half. And if they weren't getting caught for being offside, they were coming into the ruck sideways or they just were doing the sort of the old things that New Zealand rugby used to get away with, sort of playing yep. the ball on the ground a bit too much, um, going off their feet at the breakdown, all those... Rolling things. directly back through the scrum half rather than out to the yeah, side. Yeah, exactly. And with this new interpretation of the rules, the refs were picking it up straight away. Mm -hmm. And it took them a long time. They didn't sort of get a roll on until probably the 50th minute when they started to come back. So I was quite surprised that it, I'm guessing it must be a, a coaching um, approach because they didn't seem to adapt to the new rules as well as the Highlanders did. Well, why don't we shift across to that game then? So the Highlanders and the Chiefs played on Saturday evening and the Highlanders came away with a really gutsy 28-27 to 27 win. It was a really, really close game, obviously, but tense. And it actually came down to two drop goals in the last two minutes of the game. So Damian McKenzie for the Highlanders got the... Um, no, for, yeah, Damian McKenzie got the... Drop goal in the 78th minute, and then Bryn Gatland, Warren Gatland's son, stole the win away from his father with an incredible drop goal one minute later. Imagine the text that night, just going, little one, sorry, Dad. <laughs> <My bad. laughs> I wonder if they would have said anything or if it'd just be like awkward thing over the Sunday roast. Yeah, we're just not talking about it. We're we'll talking about next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a, like, um, the, the way this game finished was the perfect ending to a perfect um, game, really. So the build-up, the first game of professional sport anywhere in the world, um, ev everyone from all over the world was watching this game and that was the way it finished with the, co the opposition coach's son kicking the field goal for the opposition. <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah. So good. Yeah, and I think like what I really enjoyed about the pre-match build-up was... Um, I don't know, there's a little part of me that thought 
was just being cynical and thinking it was a bit of a marketing spin. But obviously this was the first game in the world that had a full crowd in attendance, first yeah. professional game of sport. So like you had, you've had uh, NRL going for a while. They've had some small crowds being able to be there. I mean, at least at the game I watched Thursday or Friday night, there was a crowd. Yeah, the corporate the, the to Eagles go. game. Pardon? It's corporate. Oh, uh, corporate. Okay, corporate so there were some people there. But within the kind of marketing and the hype at the start of the game, they were talking about how the New Zealand population really deserved this opportunity and had earned it through the sacrifices they'd made over the previous weeks of heavy lockdowns mm. to have completely eliminated the virus in the entirety of the country. And I was like, yeah, good on you. Well done. This should be a celebration. And you yeah. saw that with the huge crowds. I don't have the figures for the Highlanders and Chiefs, but the Blues-Canes game had 43,000 people at Eden Park, which is the biggest super rugby crowd in New Zealand in 15 years. That's crazy. So it's just... And what I loved about the Highlanders-Chiefs crowd was um, the Highlanders have... They're a university town. Mm. And so they had all the university students back there again. And it was, it looked like it was a party and people were having fun. The ground wasn't totally full, but it was pretty darn busy. So it was great to just see the competition being supported so um, positively by the crowds. Well, that's what I was sort of thinking as I was watching the game. I expected there to be fairly big numbers in the crowds for both these games. Um, I probably expected a little bit uh, bigger crowd at the Highlanders game because during because it was the first one but i don't think they get big crowds much down in otago no they don't it's they usually have that right hand as we're watching at the right hand end of the stadium where the yes. students are all that's always full yeah if university is in semester it's full um and aside from that they never get massive massive crowds so what they had was an improvement on previous games that i've watched of theirs yes no definitely yeah that's the other thing that um, at the beginning of the year when the Highlanders had their first game, I think it was against the Reds um, at home, because Super Rugby started so much earlier this year than it has in any previous years, the university semester hadn't started yet. Yeah. So the students went in town and so the, the crowd was a bit like there was hardly anyone there. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see that, that um, when the university's back that they can fill it up and they can just bring that party atmosphere because they were going off and it looked like so much fun to be there. It'd just be so entertaining just to be there with all your mates. Like back in that time of, I mean, I'm not that much past it. I'm not that <laughs> old. <laughs> but back when you just didn't really have any concern and you knew it was like a sideline to the social aspect of what it was to be 20 yeah. or 21, 22. <laughs> and that would just be so much fun to be able to go and watch Super Rugby with your mates week in, week out. Oh, how good jealousy is running through. And anyway, anyway, the game. Um, when we actually look at the game itself, uh, possession was relatively evenly spread, but territory was 39 to 61%. So Highlanders, 39% territory. Chiefs, 61% territory. And so I just find it interesting that the stats can be so skewed, and yet the game was so close. So yes. it means that... The, the Chiefs played it in the right part of the field for the majority of the game, but just weren't able to get the incisive moments that they would be hoping for. Yeah, exactly. I think the um, the Highlanders' defence was really good. They mm. and as as I said previously, they they had adapted to these new rules, so their effect at the breakdown was a lot um, more efficient than the Chiefs were. So they mm. were they weren't contesting every breakdown. 
but they were picking the ones that they knew to hit. And when they did contest it, they were quite successful in turning the ball over. Looking at the penalty stats from what we have now, I'm not entirely sure how accurate this is, but it's 11 to 6 Highlanders versus Chiefs to make a total of 17 in the game. That's not that bad. If those stats are accurate, that's not that bad. And I didn't actually think the Highlanders-Chiefs game was um, over-officiated or particularly poor in regards to the amount of penalties that were given. I think there were a lot early to kind of set the expectations, but I didn't see it as being something that was, yeah, too heavily officiated. Well, that was the thing that I was thinking as I was watching the game, that the commentators were saying that the ref was blowing the whistle a fair bit, but the plays just weren't adapting and they weren't making the changes. So he mm-hmm. wasn't he wasn't picking different things. He was being quite consistent in what he was penalising. So it was playing the ball on the ground. It was going off your feet at the breakdown. It was coming in incorrectly. It was being offside and not be, having that extra step. And the Chiefs just seemed to keep doing those things and then being surprised and frustrated when they got penalised for it. So I I didn't quite get that because the Highlanders didn't seem to have a problem adapting. I thought Brad Webber was fantastic for the Chiefs um, at Scrum Half. I think he is really... He's had a fantastic Super Rugby season before the break, and I think he's going to really be pushing at least TJ Perinara for the reserve Scrum Half spot for the All Blacks. Yeah, I think Aaron Smith was above and beyond the best Scrum Half of the day. Yeah, but that's just pretty standard. I think he's probably the best scrum half in the world. And, I mean, you could maybe say Faf to Clerk, although Faf offers a different game to what Aaron Smith does. It's all the hair. Uh, (laughs) His glowing, luscious locks. Um, (laughs) Especially when he's in his budgie smuggler meeting Prince, what is it, Prince uh, (laughs) William? William. Harry? Was it Prince? Prince I I think it was one of them, yeah. It was one of them. Anyway, that's an absolutely fantastic image. Um, but who, out of interest, who else would be above him? Like England, who have they got? Ben Youngs. He's so hot and cold on a good yeah, day. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rate him there, in the top five. I rate him highly. I mean, will um, Kenya at his prime? Yeah, but if we're talking like now, no. Yeah. Um, I reckon Factor Clerk has, has to be number one. Yeah. I would say he's number one at the moment because he's dominating. Yeah. He dominated at the World Cup and he's also dominating in the, in the English Premier League. Premier but he's League. dominating in a particular style of play. So I guess you can't ask much more than him because those are the competitions and the styles that he's playing within. Yeah. But he has an incredible defensive presence. Um, he's got a decent box kicking game and like running game. I just don't think his passing has the accuracy in a service that Aaron Smith does. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I think they offer slightly different things. But yeah, I guess the argument would probably be between Smith and De Klerk. Yeah. I don't know who you pick as three. Perinara, maybe. Um, as yeah. a third best in the world? Yeah. Hmm. What's the Welsh scrum house name again? Uh, Gareth, uh, Davies? Gareth Davies? I was thinking that, but I thought he was one of the centres. Oh, there are too many Davies and Joneses in Welsh rugby. I think you just uh, go with that name and you just go Davies and you're pretty close. <laughs> uh, yeah, Gareth Davies. Um, Gareth Davies is pretty damn good as well. But, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on from talking about Scrum Half so we can barely remember the names of. Um, anything else you want to say about yeah, that? I, um, I did notice the, the number eight for the Chiefs. Uh, his name is Sawa Kula. Is that, I think that's what his name is. Um, he when when we when the Waratahs played the Chiefs earlier in the in the season, 
down in Wollongong. It's going to say Newcastle, but no, it was Wollongong. He was really good. I remember we spoke about him on the pod as well. Like he was doing a lot of good things. This game, he was getting penalised a lot. I, what he, were the penalties for? They were lazy things. So there was, I think it was in the first half in about the uh, 32nd minute. In the space of five minutes, he got penalised three times and three times in a row. So the first time he went off his feet at the breakdown, the second time he came in from the side, and then the third time he didn't roll away from being the tackler. So it was just really, really lazy things. And I think that was, that was sort of the, for me, the point of why the Highlanders won this game and the Chiefs didn't is that they didn't adapt. And at halftime, they interviewed the coach as well. And they said something along the lines to the coach. um, And I don't, I can't remember which coach it was, but it wasn't Warren Gatlin. Um, Mm -hmm. And they said something along the lines of, you know, oh, the the boys have a long way to go and they're not not doing too well so far, are they, in the first half? And he just sort of really defensively came back and was like, oh, well, you know, we've got new rules now and it's, the boys haven't played in a long time and it's just taking them some time to adjust. And it was like, well, why? It just doesn't seem like you guys are prepared for these rules and, and coached it going into this game. And you would hope that they would have the leadership and the skills to be able to adapt to the interpretations on the fly. I mean, that's been rugby 101 since I've started supporting it and following it is that different referees will have different areas of focus or yeah, interpretation exactly. and you adapt as the game goes on. And it's, it's pretty obvious things that the referee's pulling up. It's breakdown work. They knew going into this game, the breakdown was going to be heavily criticized and they were getting penalized for things that they've always got away with. So, you know, playing the ball on the ground, rolling to get that little extra uh, few meters, that kind of thing. Sort of coming in, not from the last man's feet, coming in a little bit from the side and they were getting pinged for it. But you would think, in the first few minutes, once you've given away that third or fourth penalty for a similar kind of thing, the leaders would say, okay, we need to really tighten up our approach to the breakdown. It just didn't seem like they did that. No. And I think, um, well, why don't we move on now to the Blues and Hurricanes? Because one, saw... one other last thing I just want to ask you. Oh, did, Sorry, do you I was know make what, a connection, but you go. Did you know why the Chiefs were wearing pink jerseys? No, I did not. It was the women in union round for them. So oh, it was really? something to do with like um, paying tribute to the women, which I think is cool. But I, I, I didn't thought they were good-looking jerseys. I was really confused because I was like, why are they wearing a different jersey? They don't clash. Yeah. And, and then I looked up while I was watching it, their away kit, and it was, a, it was like light blue. So I was like, that's not their away kit. Why are they wearing these? I only found out by going onto the Chiefs' Instagram page when they were saying, oh, how do you like our new jerseys that we're wearing this week for the first round of the new competition? Like, oh, okay, there you go. I'm kind of interested in buying one because I really like the look of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it looks good. But anyway. You would wear Um, something from New Zealand? I I just, I like wearing pink. So uh, I think having a pink jersey would be fun to wear now and then. All right, all right. Fair enough. You do you. Um, Okay, Blues and Hurricanes. Blues got up 30-20 to 20 in what was a really entertaining game, uh, but to me was characterised by the Blues being the tactically smarter team out of the two, yeah. which is definitely something. Um, the Blues really have been the whipping boys of New Zealand rugby for the last five, six 
plus years. And they've always had players of potential, but haven't always met that potential. So um, you have, and I've got some stats to back up why I think the Blues were the smarter team. Okay. So possession was 44 to 56. So Blues 44, Hurricanes 56, indicating the Blues were kind of uh, played a fair bit more of the game without the ball territory was 33 to 67 so 67 percent of it was played in the hurricanes half um penalties 16 to 14 was pretty even and missed tackles though was 11 to 21 so the canes that's a high penalty count though tackles i think that's what that's a high penalty count overall yeah yeah, i think that's what people are sort of complaining about but with that game in particular, yeah. yeah. And then errors was five to eight. But here's the kicker, obviously. Kicks, 26 to 18. So my theory is, having watched the game, but then having this confirmed by the stats, was that the Blues recognised the, um, how the new interpretations would make it harder to hold onto the ball. Mm. And so they were willing to play the ball down within the Hurricanes half by having a smarter kicking game and then try and force penalties that they would then convert, which is what they did. And, um, what's the name? Otere Black? Yes. Um, the number 10 got like five out of five or six out of six penalties. Yeah, he was, was kicking. Coming. He was on fire. Yeah, he was doing really well. So um, I just think they played the smarter game and they came, came away with it. What in the end was a pretty comprehensive win. It was 32... 13 at 76 or 77 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, they were in no danger of losing the game. Yeah, the um, it was the first five minutes, there was a lot of kicking going on. It was back and forth by both teams. I think the fourth or fifth minute of the game, they yeah. had there had been six kicks by both sides or something. And I was just like, whoa, what's going on here? Both teams just don't want to run the ball. But the Blues were really... Their back three in this game were really good. And they were picking the times to run the ball when they... And they did it really effectively. Yep. I was a bit surprised that Bowden Barrett... Bowden Barrett didn't do a little bit more. He... What I noticed was... He was involved in the speeding up of the pace of the game. Yes. In the second half of the second half. Yeah. So there were a couple of times where he decided to take a quick tap and to run with it, um, where they would play a wide play out the back. So go to the 10 and play it to either him running across on an angle or to the 12 or 13 cutting that angle. And then he'd just do this really incisive sprint to spread the play wide using his pace to take it out and hook and line up, uh, link up with a winger. He was just... I think choosing when to insert himself, but wasn't trying to overplay his hand. Yeah. In the in what was his first game for the Blues? Yeah, and his first game of the year as well. Did so, you enjoy um, how the Hurricanes players roughed him up after Dan yeah. Coles' try? <laughs> that was awesome. They like grabbed him and pulled him in, and in the middle of the hug, and he's like, "Ah, oh, get out of it." <laughs> it was. I just loved how he was laughing about it as well. He's going like, "Piss off, let me." <laughs> just, just laughing. I'm not it. part of you anymore. Let it be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it was, did it you was um, fun, a nice little moment? Did you like Dan Cole's try? I thought it was great. There's. Don't get me wrong. Don't you? Isn't I, it Dan Cole's like that Dane you, you don't like? I don't like Dan Cole's. Yes, but exactly. that doesn't mean I don't think he's a fantastic player. Um, and so I just love his the fact that he they they always play him on the wing, and he does pretty damn well out there as well. He did he did a he made a lot of ground to score that try. 
I didn't think yep. he was going to get there. I thought he was going to be outrun by the winger. Yeah, well, it was Bowden think... Barrett coming across. It and was he... Bowden Barrett oh, that tried it, to chop him Bode, low and the winger came to take him high. Ah, oh, okay. But he did that little dive. Yep. I was like, what yep. are you doing? You're a prop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked. He got in. Oh, dude. No, it was a, it was a good game. And every time Bowden Barrett got the ball in the, in the first five minutes when they were kicking back and forth, the crowd just went nuts. <laughs> They're like, we're here to see you play. I really enjoyed at one point the camera panned to the water boys for the yes. Blues. Who were the water boys? Dan Carter and Tano Munger. Um, so it was just awesome. Yeah, they were saying in the last few minutes of the game when the, um, the replacement number nine came on for the Blues, he made his debut and Dan <laughs> Carter just came up to him and gave him a bit of a quiet word before he came on. They're like, oh. How good's that? Coming on for your Super Rugby debut and the big man himself, DC, comes and gives you a few words. It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, pre- that's pretty massive. But at the same time, I wonder if they're just going to hype up Dan Carter way too much uh, and whether his return actually, he'll hardly play. Maybe he'll get like 20, 30 minutes at the tail end of the game just to kind of settle things down and give players a bit of a rest. And whether he's more there as like a... A, um, like a mentor or a coach or something like that. Yeah, players, I yeah. kind of think that that's sort of the role that he's taking at the moment. I wouldn't mm. be surprised if we don't see too much game time from him. But yep. the back line already is looking really good for this Blues team. And I think yep. he has a lot to do with that. Just coming in and sort of giving them the direction and, and Otera Black was, was doing really well at number 10. So I would say that Dan Carter's been helping him with his kicking game and his, his ability to take on the line and things that's really sort of sharpening up that back line. One of the things that stood, stood out to me in this match, um, mostly because he never shuts up with, was TJ Perinara. Oh. Uh, he is in so many ways, the epitome of a scrum half, but in some of the best ways as well. So he never stops talking. He's always telling a ref what to do, but, he also never gives up, is incredibly hard-willed and has this, you can just feel it oozing out of him as you watch the game, this incredible desire to win and drive everybody else around him for that win. Um, so I've got a lot of respect for him, but did you enjoy how uh, the ref, at, at one point a decision goes against the Highlanders? Yes. And um, he drops, yeah, uh, sorry, yeah, Hurricanes. Yeah, and Perinara drops the F-bomb, not at the ref, but about the ref's decision. And then the ref calls Dane Coles over and is like, yeah, I'm not talking to him anymore. Uh, he's got to stop talking to me and I'm only going through you. Because if he uses that language again in my presence, he's off something to that effect. Right. I, like, I missed that bit. But <laughs> I did notice great. there was one point in the first half and I don't know what happened, but he, Perinara walked up to the ref to talk to him about something and he's like patting him on the shoulder. I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was, if that was in the NRL, he'd be off for that. Um, yeah which I don't think is a bad thing. I, I, he's obviously got that, um, that relationship with the referees, being that they all are Kiwis. And then mm-hmm. in the second half, once Dan Coles was off in the... I can't remember who it was that replaced him as captain, but there was a number of penalties in a row for the Hurricanes, and he called yep. the captain over, and Perinara walks up, and he's like, TJ, go away, I'm not talking to you. And that's and because it's a, come after what I was just saying. And then he took a step, and he still <laughs> stood there. And then the referees just sort of looked at him and just started talking to the captain. I'm like, <laughs> Perinara's won that battle right there. Because he's well, standing I, right next to the captain. But it's also a thing of, I just go to teacher point of view then. It's like, you're choosing your battles. 
Yeah. Like, he took a step back. He's being a bit of a pain in the ass. But if you make a thing out of it, then you've kind of lost that scenario. Whereas if you choose not to engage in it, then you're still holding some authority. Um, it's, it's an interesting one. But yeah, it's again, just an example of TJ Perinara just kind of uh, doing what's required of him within the rules or following the instructions, but in his own way, in his own yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Um, anything else you want to say about this game? Uh, I noticed when Adi Surveyor came on in the second half, it was good to see him back and playing again. Mm. But uh, he also was another player that didn't adapt to the rules too well. And he was getting penalized a lot. In the yeah. breakdown, he went off his feet a number of times. He was offside a lot. So he, as an individual player, he wasn't taking that extra step at the back of the, of the offside line. So he, at the breakdown, he was really very far forward as the first pillar, which then brought the whole back line forward because they set off that player. And he, they got pinged for being offside about three times when he was the one that was setting it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and I think what we'll see is that will just change over the coming week or two where players will just basically be coached. They need to be taking that extra step back. And they, you can still do a form of rush defence, but you just need to make sure you're starting from further back. Yeah, and um, that's the other thing too, is that with this new approach, it's not the pillar and post, the first two players closest to the ruck that are doing the rush defence anymore. It's a bit yep. wider out. Yep. So I like that. I, I like what it, the, the, the fact that these um, changes to the way the referees are officiating the breakdown, how it's speeding up the game and it's just, it's flowing better. Yep. Yep, definitely. And that's what I, that was my thoughts. I, mean, I might've said it earlier, but just with the large amounts of penalties, I didn't think the games were that stop start or too slow. No. I thought that decisions were made from the penalties quickly and that the kick to touch happened swiftly. And the game just got on with it. There wasn't a huge amount of time wasting or anything like that. I actually thought they were both really entertaining games to watch. Yeah, it's good. And it's, it'll be good to see if these rules do end up going a bit further. And mm. so Australia is talking about introducing some of these rules as well. But if World Rugby is kind of watching and incorporates that into the official rule book going forward, it'd be interesting. Can you to imagine... See like England or France having to do this with the size of their front five. I just think the home unions are going to be like, nah, nah, definitely not. We're playing to our strengths because this speeding up the game benefits Australian New Zealand rugby. It is yeah, not exactly. something that benefits a power game. Yeah, and well, they're, so, they're so they're also so set piece dominated in the, in Europe. And so who controls the WIU Northern hemisphere? That's I right. really doubt it's going to happen. Yeah, it probably won't. But that's that was one thing I was thinking as well as I was watching these games is that the world rugby doesn't isn't controlling these competitions, and yep. now the the our unions have come out and introduced these rules to change to change the way that we officiate the game and how it sort of flows and how engaging it is for the fans, and it yep. is it's having a big effect on the game and the speed of the game, um, but it's done without world rugby intervening. So. Yeah, it just goes to show that world rugby is dominated by the European nations. Well, and that's the point. Like, you, you remember those uh, COVID rules yeah. that world rugby put out, we discussed a couple of weeks back. Um, none of them were brought in. And the no. union just went, no, nah, we're doing what we want. And, I mean, that just shows you the influence of world rugby on decision-making and stuff like that with, within the individual unions where they go, here's some suggestions. And everyone's like, go away. We're doing yeah. our own. We, we know what we want. Yeah. 
anyway, why yeah, don't we move on now to the... Moving forward, um, I think the game will speed up and the breakdown will tighten up a lot as the yeah, competition yeah. progresses. The mm-hmm. penalty count will come down as players adapt to the way that it's officiating. I just hope that the referees don't change their approach due to the backlash that's come out from sort of a few people saying there's too many penalties because it, what they're doing is... Uh, but when the World Cup... In, during the World Cup, there was a lot of uh, fanfare around the way that the referees were approaching the high tackle threshold and the um, the penalties that come through that with red cards and yellow cards. And in the semifinals and quarterfinals, so from the finals forward after the pool stages, they did change their approach. So I wonder if the added pressure of a World Cup might make it different to a competition, which is only a 10 or 12 week competition. Mm. Yeah, um, and hopefully I mean, the World Cup's only a similar length, but yeah. 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 Now we'll see. We'll see. I mean, this is this as well. This competition is for the fans and, and for people to watch. So if people aren't happy with it, they may have to change their approach. But I'm just saying I hope they don't. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. Should we move on? Get into our spicy, spicy news? The spicy news. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's roll. <laughs> All right. Now, before we jump into our spicy news, I just want to follow on from a point that we're making before about the Chiefs pink jerseys. I was just looking it up. It costs $150. And this just brings me to another rant point I want to quickly say before we get into the news. How the hell do you expect people to be able to buy merchandise for them and their kids when you're pricing the team's jerseys at $150? Now, that... Fair enough for the Chiefs. That might just be, it's a limited edition one. So that might be, say, $20 or $30 more than anybody else. But even the Waratahs, um, they currently have a sale of 30% on their 2020 jerseys. But the original price of the jerseys is $160. Yeah. And even now it's only down to $112. So we're still over $100 per jersey. It's so now, I don't know how. I don't know how unrealistic I'm being and thinking I should be able to get my team's shirt for under a hundred dollars, but that's just a crazy price point for like younger families and younger people that just don't have the money to be spending on memberships and tickets and drinks and food at the game. Yeah. I'm like, just lower the price point and make it more accessible for people. Like I want to kid out my son in the jerseys then I really don't want to be spending more than like 60 or $70 on that. Yeah, especially but, when they're young and they're growing. Yeah, so he'll exactly. have the jersey that fits for maybe a year mm-hmm. and then he goes out of it and you just have to buy another one. Yep. Crazy. And I'm looking down and don't even have like kids' versions or anything like that. So my point is just super rugby teams, if you want people to show up at the venue with your merchandise, drop the freaking price point. It's just crazy that they expect people to be spending that much. But anyway, that is not the well, news. Well, going to the World Cup last year, I bought a Wallabies jersey and I paid $170 for it. So That's insane. That's, you're crazy. spending nearly $200 on a shirt. I know. I know. But it was the Indigenous one. So I liked it. That is a really cool jersey. That is a really cool jersey. But anyway, <laughs> uh, let's start off with Super Rugby. AU, Super Rugby Australia. So there are some pretty cool things that are happening. For those of you who don't remember, it is kicking off on July the 3rd. And now there are some new rules and some interpretations, much like what we were discussing earlier, that have been brought in. They're basically exactly the same as what New Zealand is doing. 
So everything New Zealand is doing is what is happening in the Australian competition as well. well it's probably been we've got a few more great. things that New Zealand aren't doing. Really? What have we got yeah. that they aren't? We'll, we'll get to that. Do you want to run through oh, what goodness. we've introduced? Yeah, let me run through them quickly yep. and then you can tell me what I'm wrong about. I look forward yep. to hearing it. So um, a really interesting one is the super time, which is basically just extra time. If the game is drawn, you get five minutes per half. So 10 minutes extra and it's golden point. There's also the red card substitution is being brought in as well. So a player who gets a red card is sent off the field and then after 20 minutes may be substituted by somebody else unless all subs have previously been used, which probably won't happen because all subs don't get used until the last like 20 minutes of the game anyway. So yeah, so if you get to that one in, in the last 20 and you get a red card, you, yeah, yeah, you got, oh, you're off. Yeah, it'll be irrelevant. Unless you just have a lot of injuries earlier in the game. That oh, but, That'd be horrible. Yeah. Um, then also, we don't have a specific rule change for this, but there is greater officiating of the breakdown offside and scrum resets, much like what we saw this weekend with the New Zealand games. Now, th are you talking about these two points yeah, that held up two, over the try line and the dropouts? These two aren't in New Zealand. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I didn't realise that. So let me talk through them. Uh, firstly, if you as an attacking team are held up over the try line going for a try, then the defensive team gets a dropout rather than a previous situation, which is a five-metre attacking scrum. Uh, and a dropout must be taken from the try line rather than the 22. Mm -hmm. There is also, I didn't write this one down, but there's also, you know, the 40-20 in rugby yes. league? Well, it's a 50-22. And then the reverse is the 22-50. So it, it kind of works both ways if you're attacking or trying to clear your end zone as well. So if you're so, attacking and you kick the ball out from your own half and it goes out in the 22, you get the throw in. Yes, correct. That's and not hard to do though. Do you want to know the interesting thing? That ball going out, I was reading the rules, that ball going out does not have to just be on the sideline in the field of play as such. It can also be on the sideline of the in-goal area. That's wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah, but no, it, may, it makes sense what you're saying. Yep. But it, that's, that shouldn't be allowed because if you kicked it out in goals, you've overshot it, so you've messed it up. You shouldn't be rewarded mm. for that. Well, anyway, that's what it's going to be. That's um, not hard, though. Yeah, well, what, what's, what's the effect of that going to be? What's the effect of that going to be? You have to drop a player, drop a winger. Yeah, you've got to drop a winger out of the defensive line, which means there's more opportunity for um, line breaks to be made or to go around the edge of the defensive line. I mean, that's what they're hoping for. We'll see yep. how it happens because this rule was introduced into the NRC last year and it didn't happen very much. Teams yep. just didn't go for it. Yeah, and it'll be interesting who's got the better... Um, like the fly halves and the 12s who are better kickers who are going to be able to have the ability to go for that. I'd say the two teams that I reckon will go for this the most will be the Brumbies Yep. and the Force. Why yeah. the Brumbies? Well, because they're such good maulers. So they'll just go for that driving maul every time. And they're also they a really smart team. So I can see them making specific use of this rule rather uh, before teams are set with their defensive strategies to counter it. And Noah Alessio is a great kicker. Like he's got, yep. he's got a good, um, he can kick well in play. So I can definitely see them using this. And then the force as well, they kick a lot. So I yep. can see them using this. So we'll see. I don't think the Waratahs will use it very well. 
Um, I don't. The Reds might. They've got James O'Connor at ten. He's he's all right as a kicker. They've got Bryce Hegarty as well. Mm-hmm. Don't say Jock Campbell's name when you're talking about kicking. <laughs> Sorry, that was mean, wasn't it? <laughs> it's just place kicking he's not good at yeah true i haven't seen him do many kicks in out of hand but it's so basically these allowed. rules came from a working party uh from all the super rugby teams uh with coaches players referees and rugby administrators coming in and having some involvement in um the overall discussion and scott johnson was basically saying that the, the overarching goal within the discussion was to not change rugby away from what is intrinsically rugby. So removing any contest for possession, having a different elements of the game that can contribute to varied means of achieving victory, but simply to make it a more entertaining viewing experience so that the popularity of it can be increased for the fans. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. I'm really excited to see how it goes and see whether any teams actually utilise these new kicking opportunities. Yeah, I think um, the ball held up over the line resulting in dropouts a good move. It reduces yep. the amount of scrums and keeps the ball in play for longer. Interesting that they're going for the, um, the dropouts to be taken from the, the goal line and not the 22. Yep. But, yeah. Yeah, it just means that there's more... Um, it, it's obviously you're not going to clear your lines anywhere near as far. And so it just puts a little bit of, it adds a bit of extra reward for if you're going for like a cross field kick as an attacking team and the defending player takes the mark in, in goal, then normally that would have been a 22 dropout, I think. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And this time it means it has to be taken from the try line, which just provides some extra reasoning as to why you would go for that crossfield kick, which is a pretty risky move. Yeah. Um, also, and why I is the defending team you might... take the mark? Yeah. Yeah. Because you can just, in most cases, well, not in some cases, you could take the ball and still kick it away. Yeah. Anyway. I'm excited to see how that comes along. And uh, the other piece of news about the Super Rugby AU was that crowds will be allowed at Super Rugby AU games up to 10,000 at this point for stadiums with 40,000 or greater capacity. Um, There was some talk in PM Scott Morrison's announcement that that could potentially be increased to a flat rate of like a one in four. So if your capacity of a stadium just to round, provide round numbers is 100,000, you could have 25,000 people there. But we would, that, that's not confirmed, but it is confirmed up to 10,000 for 40,000 capacity stadiums. Oh, I, don't, I don't think we have to worry too much about that in New South Wales. <laughs> Getting 10,000 people to a game. Getting 10,000 people hasn't happened in years. I think I think no, I'm joking. Have we we have years. had that. We have had that. We have had those numbers before. I'm just yeah. being being cheeky. Facetious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, personally, I I actually sent the Waratahs an email uh, late uh, mid last week. Going. I sent an hi, Instagram message. Hi, I've been really. Pa- Did you get a reply? Nope. How rude. <laughs> Maybe they fired the people that walk after their social media or email. Well, they've, they've cut most people. Uh, I'm kind of thinking that they're going off the belief that we'll be allowed to come back. So they're holding off until they've got uh, some official word to say that there's not going to be any crowds allowed at all. And then they can yep. come out and say, okay, we need to refund you because there's going to be no rugby. 
they were yep. just hoping that we that people would be allowed to go and so they'll say yeah no you can come play you can come watch so they kind of lucked out really they've basically just waited 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 and then got really lucky that they can have crowds come so they don't have to refund everyone <laughs> yeah because i sent my email before rugby inactivity so, mm, mm. <laughs> well that's enough for the super rugby comp i reckon um yeah. actually let's just quickly say this now uh predict five so first to fifth at the end of the competition who's going to be first who's going to be fifth okay so um this is a tough one because from watching the new zealand comp i didn't expect and i said this before i didn't expect the two teams that won to win these games i didn't think the blues would beat the canes and i didn't definitely didn't think the highlanders would beat the chiefs yep. but the reason they won was because they adapted to the rules so I don't know. We could see some clubs come out and really adapt. So the Waratahs hopefully would adapt and play well and be a different side than they were at the beginning of the year, or they yep. could come out and just be as hopeless as they were. So yep. I don't know, but I will give you my prediction. So I think number <laughs> one, Brumbies. Yep. Two, Rebels. Mm-hmm. No, two Reds. Three Rebels. Four, the Force. Five, the Waratahs. You think Waratahs are going to be at the bottom? I think the I think the Force will do a lot better than anyone's expecting them to. Yeah, okay. they'll beat the Waratahs. I I just don't know what's happening with the Tars this year. Well, I'm having a clean slate of anything that happened in a Waratahs oh, season. I can't okay. remember it, so for me, it doesn't exist. So therefore, I have Waratahs number one. No, that's not true. Um, <laughs> I've got. <laughs> I've got Brumbies as number one in my mind. Um, then I have the Reds second. Then my toss-up is between the Waratahs or the Rebels. I just don't particularly rate the Rebels very highly. Um, okay. But yeah, based they, on the first half of the season, then they I have should, they have yeah. recently signed two um, sevens players. The Rebels have. Yeah. Who they signed? Um, Holland. Is it Josh Holland? Ja- Luke Holland? Uh, James, James Holland? Justin Holland? James Holland? Yeah. Isn't, isn't he the... Lewis Holland. Isn't he the... Lewis Holland. Captain? Yes, Lewis Holland and... No, there's three of them, actually. I can't remember who the second one is, but the third one is um, Gerard Skelton. Oh, really? Okay. So, Sweet. yeah, they've, they've named some good players because Sevens has been put off until next year. Yeah, fair enough. So, all the Sevens players are like, we have no... Jobs, let's play rugby for the 15s. Um, okay, so I'm just going to chuck Rebels in at number three, and then I'm going to go Waratahs and Force. I think that the, one of the biggest weaknesses the Waratahs had was the um, weakness of their forward pack, particularly at the set piece. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder if the changes to the game are actually going to benefit them and hide that weakness of their game in this new, um, with this new focus on the rules. Yeah, but I don't think our backs are good enough to be competitive. Well, I I hope that Beal doesn't start and that um, they move Maddox straight into 15 and they use Beal as a utility back from the bench. Even even in the the few rounds this year, Maddox just didn't seem like he knew... He wasn't playing as he normally is. He was playing at wing and he's a a fullback. He he should be playing at 15. Yeah, but being a wing is not hard. You just got to catch the ball and run. (laughs) I'm sure sure there's a little bit more to the game than that. (laughs) Said by a prop. (laughs) All props do is like just run around and fall into other people and then just get tired. 
Is no, they, they do giant runs down the right-hand side of the field and do this great jumping try. <laughs> Didn't you watch the game today? Oh, I also watched him do a chip kick straight, in, straight into the crowd. Um, that, was, that was fun. It was end of the second half as well. <laughs> Why don't we move on now to player movements? Because there are a few people moving around in Australian rugby. And a really big news this week is that Henry Spate ha- is leaving the Reds at the end of the month, actually, and joining French club Biarritz on a three-year deal, which is wow. massive. That's yeah, huge. So he's, he's currently 32. And he's been an incredible servant of Australian rugby. He's played his entire career, except for one brief stint over at um, Ulster. I think it was at Ulster for like one season. Uh, and yeah, basically the, the word on the street, and supposedly he was really open with the Reds about it and said, look, they've offered me a three-year deal. I was signed on to the end of 2021. This is basically going to be my last contract. Please, please, please. And the Reds said, yeah, okay. Yep, you've done a good job. Thank you for everything that you've given to Australian rugby. Go for it. The Reds are okay with it. He's played four or five games for them. Well, yeah, but they've also got the idea that um, Vinavali is going to be joining from the Storm as well. Yeah. So I think they see him as just a straight replacement for Henry Spade. And that's interesting too, that if he leaves now or leaves at the end of the month, he won't be playing any Wallabies this year. Yeah, correct. It's a shame. Mm, yeah. Well, I don't think he would have been in the Wallabies, like, 23. He might have been in a broader squad, but I don't think he would have been in 23. Wasn't he in the teams that we named earlier this year? That's a great question. I really need to get onto Instagram now and have a quick look whilst we keep talking. All right, so Um, second, you look up that, um, and I'll go into the next part. So the next one is that the Reds are confident that the uh, NRL convert uh, Vunavalu will still be coming as planned to join Queensland. So he's currently yep. playing for the Melbourne Storm with the whole sort of COVID situation and the fact that there was no rugby going ahead. There was talks that he might back out of his contract and stay in the NRL. But mm-hmm. the Reds are saying that they're confident he's still going to come across. So fingers crossed. And he would be their spate replacement. Yep. And you chose spate for your squad. I did not oh. choose him in my team. Oh, what a hole. <laughs> I had Corabetti and Kellaway as my wingers. I was I still prefer Spade over Kellaway, although Kellaway kicks better. Kellaway also had an incredible start to the season. Yes, he did. He um, did. And is the leading try scorer. So I was just rewarding him based on that form. Although Spade had a good start to the year as well. He did. Anyway, three other players have been signed up for the Western Force. So we've got former Wallaby. Carl Godwin played one game. Greg Holmes played like 20-ish plus games as well. And Johnny Lance has signed for the force as well. So um, Holmes has been overplaying for Exeter and has been basically one of their starting props for the last few years at Exeter. And Exeter are up there with Saracens as the best team in the English competition. They're the ones that don't cheat. Correct, yeah. Um, and uh, also, Johnny Lance has been over at Worcester, who have been kind of some of the perennial whipping boys of the British competition as well. So I don't think... I, when I was following it, I watched a fair bit of the Premiership like about a year ago. Yeah. And in the games that I was watching, Johnny Lance wasn't playing that often or he was coming on as a substitute player. So that's not bad, but it's not like he was a nailed-on first-team player for Worcester. So... I think of them, Greg Holmes is what, 36? 
Jono Lance is reaching retirement age yeah. as well. I think he's, he's like 32, 33. Um, and Carl Godwin's a bit younger, but has always been a bit of a journeyman player. I, I actually think he left the Brumbies too early. He'd broken into the Wallaby squad, got one game, and then at the end of that season said that he was leaving the Brumbies, which was a big surprise to me. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's good that the Western Force have signed these guys only for the fact that it brings in experience to a fairly inexperienced squad. Jono yeah. Lance as well is quite a utility back. So he can play fullback, yeah. wing and in the centres. So, yeah, it's it's good signing for them. I was worried that the squad that they do have currently was going to be fairly inexperienced coming up against the super rugby sides. So mm-hmm. now that they've got these guys, it should hopefully even the playing field a little bit. In more Australian player movements, Damien Fitzpatrick has announced his retirement. So, um, and effective has... immediately. Yeah, I wonder if there's an injury concern that's been under the surface. Or something I thought like that. Yeah, this was really interesting when they they only announced this on Friday or Thursday. Friday, yeah, Friday he yeah, announced. Last week. Um, and he the reason he gave was that he started up a new company called Bondi. Bondi Vit, Bondi Vitamin. Vit, yeah, Bondi it's a vitamin company, and they do have some good contracts with the Waratahs and. I think the women's sevens team and a few others. So he does, he came out and said that he wants to focus on that, but it just seems a little bit unusual for me that he would come out now and renounce his retirement, announce his retirement officially and effectively immediately mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. play out this domestic comp. It kind of makes me wonder if he's been told by the, the management that he kind of needs to go. I wonder, I, this is just me purely speculating. Yeah. Um, so nobody take this too seriously. But I just wonder if there's been a conversation around, so we need to save some money. Uh, we know you're retiring at the end of the season. We know you have this company. Well, we could benefit from your business down the track. Why don't you retire now? And we'll make sure we talk to you when we need new vitamin. Blah, 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 blah. I yeah. just wonder if there's a bit of like a unofficial handshake about let's stay in partnership together, but we need you to retire now to get you off the books. Possibly. The other thing that I <laughs> was thinking it's about... wild too, speculation, which is kind of what we love around here. But yeah. who knows? The other thing I thought as well was like Dave Rennie, uh, sorry, not Dave Rennie, um, Rob Penny inherited the squad and he didn't sort of get the choice of choosing who he wanted in his team. He sort of got the yeah. squad and only had a few weeks to sort of get it prepared. So I think we'll see over the off-season and into next year that there'll be a lot of the older Waratahs players who do sort of move on. Damien mm. Fitzpatrick is one of them in that he's always played for the Waratahs and he's played for them for a number of years. Um, so I do think that he... or I'm guessing that he's trying to do some kind of culture change in the club mm. and that out of the sort of the key players being Michael Hooper, maybe Rob Simmons since he's captain... Um, and I'm th- hoping Carmichael Hunt gets another year. But outside of that, he would probably look at getting rid of all the other hangers on us and bring in who he really wants and sort of change the culture. Yeah. Yeah, let's see. see. I mean, I'm, I'm actually excited for the Waratahs' future, but hey, let's not spend the rest of this time just talking about the Waratahs, considering they haven't even played yet. Yeah. Um, why don't we use that is a transition point now to the super rugby payer negotiations. So previously there had been a pay negotiation between rugby Australia and Rupa on behalf of all the super players. And they had come to the deal of around about 60% um, pay cuts until approximately the 30th of 
of September. That was conditional on the amount of rugby that was being played. So now that rugby's back on, the deal is being renegotiated. And Damien Fitzpatrick, who is the president of Rupa, or the player's representative of Rupa, one of those two, um, is basically saying, yeah, the negotiations are going to be back open. More talks are going to be ongoing about trying to better support the players financially now that there is a bit of money coming back in. Um, But he also was quite positive towards the extent to which clubs, Rupa and the broader unions are actually being really supportive with players. So some players are having to take on like a a second job whilst a a part-time job to try and make ends meet. And so the clubs are being a bit more flexible around training schedules to fit in with any second jobs that some players have had to meet. And that Rupert is actually providing financial advice, uh, like opportunities for players to come and get financial advice, how to be managing their money during this time and also support services of people to speak to, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's all looking pretty like the, the, the players are being looked after as best as they possibly could in what is a really rubbish time. Cool. So they're going to renegotiate and see, agree on a, a new deal. Yep, from the sounds of it, yeah. So hopefully it's not as public as the last time and um, negative in the news headlines that come out. One can only hope. One can only hope. <laughs> Our last point. Um, basically, the Western Force are going to be having a base for the first part of the competition in the Hunter Valley because Western Australia still has border restrictions. So if any Eastern State team was to go there, they'd have to quarantine for two weeks. And so the force will be based in the Hunter Valley for the first four or five games of the season. Yeah, that's cool. We might see some games up in the, um, the Newcastle Stadium. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. That'll be fun. It's almost easier to get there from where we live than it is to get into the city. But hey. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I'm only a little bit wrong, and that's the scary part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Okay. So Any I other think news? That is the news for this week. Um, Next, we're going to look to the next round of the Adatora competition. Awesome. Let's go. All right. Now we move to the next week of week two of the Super Rugby competition in New Zealand. And first up, we have the Chiefs hosting the Blues in Hamilton on the 20th of June at 5.05 p.m. Sydney time. So, Ando, what's your prediction for this game? I'd be keen to see the Blues get up again. Um, I'm really looking forward to the idea of a bit of a shake-up in New Zealand rugby. And I'm actually, I mean, I know this isn't the next game, but having the Crusaders come in will be a good litmus test to see where the other teams are at as well. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I can see this game going either way, really. Being week two and that the Chiefs have had a taste of this new competition and how it's being officiated. I think Mm -hmm. they've got a lot of work to do, but they can definitely change things around being a home game could definitely go their way. But in saying that, the performance the Blues did today was really promising. And their back three was really, really sharp and on point. So I actually think I'm going to go with the Blues on this one. I would like to see um, Dan Carter come off the bench as well. That'd be awesome. I don't think he will. I think they'll save him for about week four or five. No, he'll come on next week. Okay, all right. You heard it here first. (laughs) It's an exclusive. (laughs) And then the next... On speculation. Yeah, that's right. Round The second game of the round is the 21st, um, Hurricanes v Crusaders in Wellington. This will be kicking off at 1.35pm in Sydney, or Sydney time. 
Ando, what's your pick for this one? Satyrs. Yeah? Satyrs. I think they're just too smart a team. They'll have watched and do analysis on the first round and will be capable, uh, tactically capable enough to be able to change their game to meet the new expectations. And they were the form team of the New Zealand competition at the start of the season. And I think that that'll continue. Yeah, I think you're pretty spot on with that one. So I'm going to go with the Crusaders as well. I just don't see them not adapting and just not being competitive. I've not seen a Crusaders team in the last 10 years not be competitive in any form, whether it's the 10s or the Super Rugby. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Crusaders for this one. Cool. Well, that's going to be the main chat that we talk about next week because obviously there's real rugby on, so we can actually be talking about it. But both uh, Mitch and I over the last few weeks have read Eddie Jones's autobiography, My Life and Rugby, that came out at the tail end of last year and actually covered, um, obviously, his life, both uh, early days and then when he kind of went across to Randwick and then spent time coaching the Brumbies then Australia, then the Reds, then moving all around the world. And it's a fantastic read. So what we're going to do is we are going to choose three moments each of the game, uh, of the book. And it needs to relate to an aspect that we can learn about or add to our own life, to ideas about leadership and things that we learn about rugby. So life, leadership and rugby. So one each. Um, of those three points and we really encourage you to take the time to go out and get the book it's very readable I've read it in like the last three days and it's fantastic to get into he is it, it, it adds a lot of depth to the person who is often just stereotyped mm. as this kind of angry little beaver yeah. so <laughs> it, it rounds his character out so much more in a way that is very um, wholesome but you just see the intense drive and passion he has for the game and how he has mellowed as both a leader and a person um, he still holds true to the core beliefs that he's always had but he's softened a little bit in his later years yeah definitely I think um, it's really good getting the insights into the person that Eddie is uh, mm. often when you're watching a game against England or whoever Eddie's coaching at the time the camera will pan to the coach box and he's just standing there stone faced looking out, like looking quite angry. Um, and you just think, what's going on there? Is he happy? Like, what? He just doesn't seem to be. That's one of the comments in the book, isn't it? His yeah. mate, what, Tempe Templeton um, yeah. was the, the media guy was basically saying, mate, you got to stop looking so grumpy. Everyone thinks you're angry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's actually uh, he's like, got no, it's just my face. lots that's going on behind the scenes and he is quite an emotional person. So Yep. Yeah, it's really good to get those insights. I definitely recommend giving it a read, especially if you're a rugby fan. Some cool insights into the World Cup and the preparation and things in there. Yep. And I think the thing that really... Um, I, the thing that I'm enjoying about it too is that a lot of the lessons that he provides about leadership are applicable beyond, uh, beyond the rugby professional rugby environment or elite rugby environment. So there's a lot of things I'm looking at kind of as a teacher and kind of executive or middle management position in my school is thinking, okay, cool. So some of these concepts and some of these ideas would be great for me to develop within the student body. Uh, I may not set up a meeting and then just not turn up to the meeting and have cameras <laughs> watching the students. That's probably illegal. Yeah, I was going to say, that probably crosses into some illegal. kind of legality <laughs> issue. But there are definitely things you can take away from it. So I'm looking forward to diving into that next week. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I also, one of the things he does say about he picks out his players 
he picks out who he knows that he can just go hard at. So I don't think, I think that's probably something that you don't want to bring into the classroom either. <laughs> no, not in the same way that he would as a yeah. professional rugby coach. But why don't we leave it there, mate? And yeah. Wrap it up. yeah, definitely. So thanks for joining us for another week, everyone. Um, it's great to have rugby back on some domestic competition. And I can't wait now for the Australian comp to kick off. I'm so excited to just, to see the domestic teams just going at it. So it's going to be awesome. But we do have rugby, so it's good. It's good. It's good. All order has been restored to the world. <laughs> well, soon. When Australian rugby kicks back in, that's when, that's when it's all restored. Definitely. So, yeah. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And we'll be back next week for another episode. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at Pick underscore Drive Rugby. Follow our Instagram at Pick underscore Drive underscore Rugby. Or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.